Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Okay, so um, we're, we're going to talk about the topic of... Uh, means and ends, enemies and friends. How do we make an enemy into a friend? What, is it, what does the Torah, what does the Jewish tradition say about that? We'll set down some basic principles, then look at some of the laws uh, that we find in the Torah and the Talmud that relate to that. We should start with what is the most important verse in the whole Torah? The rabbis uh, debate that. Rabbi Kiva says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Benazai said that there's actually a verse even greater than that. And that is from Genesis. It says, this is the book of the creation of all humanity. Every human being is created in the image of God. So they debated it, and they decided in favor of Benazai because they said that Rabbi Kiva's thing is limited to your friend, someone who's like you. But every human being is created in the image of God, even those who are different. And when we acknowledge that, we, we, we have a, a firm ethical stance in the world. Because ultimately, Judaism is particularistic and universal. It has both strands in it. We start off from the particular. We do the rituals in order to sensitize us to God and to the commandments. But the ultimate goal is, is a universal uh, acknowledgement of the beauty of the world uh, and that God is the master of all the world, that in that the messianic era all the nations of the world will worship God in the temple of the 70 nations. So we have this tension always in Judaism between the particular and the universal. Uh, sometimes the Orthodox community emphasizes the particulars very much, and the reform, the conservative movements uh, don't need all the details, but they say we'll go out and we'll save the world. You know. But in reality, uh, you need to first learn to love yourself before you can learn, learn, learn to love the world. Uh, Nietzsche once said, it's, it's, it's easy to love the whole world. Tolstoy said this, but it's hard to love one human being. So you have to start off with your own, and then you can move outward. The other major, <laughs> major teaching is from the Mishnah. The Mishnah says in, in Sanhedrin, it says, why did God create Adam alone? Could have created hundreds of people all at once. So the Mishnah answers in four, four reasons. One is that no one could say, my father is better than your father. We all came from the same father, from Adam. So there's a sense of equality. Secondly, if you destroy one person, it's as if you've destroyed the whole world. And if you save one person, it's as if you've saved the whole world, because Adam was only one person. So it teaches the absolute value of every human life. Thirdly, it teaches about the uniqueness of every human being. It says in, in the Talmud that 
Unlike human beings who make coins in the same way, God creates every human being different to bring some unique energy to the world. And when we all work together, we have a beautiful world. If it's just a world of conformity, of everyone being like the other, it creates tenseness because we know we're, we're not, we're different. Uh, but there has to be a unity within diversity. If we have the acceptance of difference, we could come together in a unified way if we have a, a clear goal. But if everyone has to conform, it creates a tension, and then there's usually a split and new communities are created. The fourth part from the Mishnah says that everyone should say, for my soul's sake was the world created. Everyone came from Adam, and therefore enjoy my world, the Mishnah says. And the other view says, and be responsible to my world. Don't destroy my world. Have gratitude and, and, and love it. So the, the other thing that is important to understand is from a mystical point of view, there are other ways of capturing this. And that's uh, the mystics say the following. If you look at the Torah, uh, this, it won't be in your notes, I don't think. Oh, it is in your notes. It says that the Torah starts from which word? Anybody know? What's the first word in the Torah? Bereshit, in the beginning, which is a bet, the second letter of the alphabet. The rabbis asked the question, why the second letter? Why shouldn't it have been the first letter of the alphabet? The rabbis always have strange questions. So uh, they answer the following, that this is not a world of unity, of Aleph. This is not a world of uh, Aleph. The, the desire to return to the Garden of Eden is really a desire to escape responsibilities in this world. What Freud would call, it's a death wish. It's thanatos. We want to reduce stress. We don't want to really work in the world. But Aleph means arur. Anybody know what arur means? Arur means a curse. It's a curse, the Aleph. To, to live, live a life of only wanting pleasure and relaxation is not why we're here. This is a world of bet. If you look at the letter bet, you see it's closed on three sides, and it's open on the fourth side. It's, our, it's a world of opposites. We have different energies. And the key is to acknowledge that and to integrate them and to work to create a world that's unfinished and fill in the fourth side, fill in the bed, the fourth side. We partner with God to make this world a beautiful world. We join with God. And bet is bracha. What is bracha? A blessing. So it's a blessing to struggle with with challenges to overcome them and to improve the world rather than to go back to sleep in this world. But ultimately, it's a good world. Uh, it's a, a, the, the Torah. The Torah begins with a letter bet. The last letter in the Torah is Lamed, Yisrael. Lamed bet is lev, this, which means heart. The whole Torah is a heart book to, to make you sensitive to that every human being is created in the image of God and that we want to create a better, better, better world. And the Torah came to create a mensch. The more, uh, the, more the more of a mensch you are, the more Jewish you are. And the Torah lays out a blueprint how to achieve that through the commandments. The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, uh, and everything stems from that. If you do things for the sake of what God would approve of, uh, how will we uplift God's world, uh, we, we will reach a state of harmony and fill in the fourth side of the bed. So what about, uh, this is all very nice, but we know that there's also 
evil in the world, enemies in the world who are not very nice to us. How do we approach them if every human being is created in the image of God and we're supposed to uh, act with them uh, in, in fine ways? So we have to learn that the Torah teaches us how to balance. There's a side of kindness. There's also a side of discipline, of judgment, of criticalness. We have to integrate the two and truly see how to interact with both, with both energies. The question arises, it says in the Torah, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov, justice, justice shall you pursue. So the rabbis comment that if you want to create justice, the means to create justice has to also be just. Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov, justice, and the means to that justice you should pursue. So the rabbis teach us in many laws that if you do something that's not kosher, that's, that's not moral, uh, you cannot fulfill the commandment through that. So for example, in the Talmud, uh, when they talk about making a sukkah, if someone steals some material in order to build a sukkah, that sukkah is not kosher. You can't use un unethical means to fulfill something because it creates also disharmony between you and another person. It creates guilt within you and shame within you. So a stolen sukkah is disqualified from, from use. Also, we have a few stories in the Torah that also supports this point. There's a story, uh, uh, the story of, of Jacob and Esau, who were brothers, uh, who were the children of Isaac and Rebekah. And uh, Jacob was, was more of a studious type, uh, and, and Esau was a, was a warrior, was a person who was a hunter. And um, the story is that since Esau was truly the firstborn, he wanted to come in for the blessing uh, from his father Isaac to bless him, uh, which is appropriate to the firstborn. Jacob really wanted it for a virtuous reason. And to Esau, it wasn't important. It was just, just a blessing. Who cares? So he was hungry. He said, if you give me lentil soup, or Jacob said, I'll make you lentil soup if you give me the, the blessing. So he did that. And then um, later on, uh, when Isaac was dying, Isaac wanted to give uh, both of his sons blessing before he died. He wanted to bless Asaph, who was the firstborn. And Rebecca uh, knew that this was happening, and she had a dream. She had a, a, a communication with God that the elder will serve the lower, that Asaph will ultimately wind up serving uh, Jacob. So she decided to dress up um, Jacob uh, with, Asaph was a hairy person, to put on hair on him and his body, disguise him, and, and so that he would also smell from the field as a hunter. And he came for the blessing, but Jacob was a little bit uh, uncomfortable with this because this was duplicitous and it was not, not uh, being honest and upfront. He said, what will happen if, if I'm discovered and, and, and I don't feel good about this? So she said, uh, I had this dream and I want you to do it and I, and a lie. I bring it upon myself. I take responsibility uh, to, for this act in case you get caught, in case something wrong happens. It will be on me. So the rabbis say the word that you use is a lie. A lie is ayin lamed yud. Ayin lamed yud is a hint to the fact 
that it wasn't right what she did and she had to suffer for her deed because Ayan is Asav. For the rest of her life, Asav was not acting in a proper way. He felt wounded and he was hostile. She had to suffer through that. Lamed is Levin, Lavan, uh, who was a trickster who tricked uh, Jacob uh, to uh, uh, marrying two of his daughters and, and wanted to take away all his riches and wanted him to stay with him. He was not a good man, created suffering. And Yud is Yosef, Joseph, who, whom she lost uh, for so many years as he was thrown in the pit by his brothers. So she suffered as a result of this duplicitous deed that she uh, made Jacob do. And this teaches us that uh, means have to be up, up front in order for you to be an ethical person. The um, next uh, example of that, yeah. It's okay to be duplicitous only if God tells you, or, or no, no. I'm saying, uh, we're, I'm saying that the commentators say that she shouldn't have done this. That uh, that this duplicitous act, uh, she had to suffer from that. Although she felt that she was following a dream, following the voice of God. Sometimes we're not clear which is the voice of God. The story of Abraham and Isaac. It's, uh, it's also something that's very ex extreme, but yet, yet it's, it's done. Um, the next story is with, uh, with Abraham uh, purchasing the, 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 uh, the field of Ephraim from the Hittites. <clears throat> that's also in Genesis, this story. Abraham was a very wealthy, powerful person and a very uh, respected person, and he wanted to purchase the field, and Ephraim said, I'll give it to you as a gift. Here, and Abraham rejected that. He said, I don't want to take it as a gift because people might think I, you gave this to me under duress. I want it to be up and up and up front. Every purchase that we make should be ethical and up front. And uh, that became a proof that even in Israel, whenever we purchase a land, it has to be done properly. We can't just take it from people. We have to buy it from people. We can't even start a war for, to take land. We, have, we can respond if someone attacks us, but there's clear laws about the means that we do have to be up and up. Why is that? Part of it is that so people can look at the Jewish people and say, bless this people, bless God. Uh, they are beloved and they're bringing love to the world and everything is working out in a proper way. The next example is... Um, I want to tell you that uh, there was a great uh, lawgiver in our generation. His name was Rav Moshe Feinstein. And his, his, uh, his yeshiva was very impoverished. And there was a person who stole money and wanted to donate a lot of money to the yeshiva. And he refused to take it. He said that it's, it's not legal, it's not ethical to receive something under circumstances that are that were gotten in illegal ways. Okay, so now let's look at Amalek, uh, 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 enemies, Amalek, and strangers. They're different categories. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Torah, we have many verses that teach us that we have to make an attempt to <clears throat> pacify our enemy, to trans transform our enemy into our friend. One, uh, one clear law is found in Exodus. It says that if you see your enemies ox wandering around, you should be sure to uh, return your, the ox to him. Or if your enemy uh, has uh, 
His ox has too heavy a load on his donkey. You should help him remove it. It's to try to engage, to try to do a kind act to the enemy, and maybe the enemy will be changed as a result of your behavior. There's another very interesting law that says that if your your friend's donkey needs loading and another friend's donkey donkey needs unloading, then what do you do first? You go to the friend whose donkey uh, is, is suffering, and you unload the donkey first. However, uh, if your friend's donkey needs unloading and your enemy's donkey needs loading, the law is you have to go to your enemy and load the, his, his donkey, even though your friend's donkey is suffering a bit, because you have the potential to transform your enemy into your friend. Your enemy will appreciate what you're doing for him. You'll get to know him. And you'll also get to know something about yourself, that I have the capacity to try to make peace with somebody who I have a disagreement with. So, so that's a very important law. Um, then we have uh, other examples of this as well. Remember we said that Asaph was done wrong by Jacob, and they didn't see each other for many years. And um, the, the story goes that when finally they came back together after many years of separation, he anticipates that Asaph will be his enemy, and he's filled with fear. And the verse says, and he was fr- Jacob was frightened, and Jacob was distressed. The rabbis say, why is it repeated, frightened and distressed? One is sufficient. Uh, so the Rashi says, he was frightened that Asaph might kill him, and he was distressed that he might have to kill Asaph. Not only uh, are we, are, do we feel bad when we have to, um, uh, when we're frightened, but we have this peaceful, loving nature. We don't want to have to kill other people. Uh, so how does he engage with Asaph at this time? The Torah tells us he prepares first by giving Asaph gifts. That's the first step, to try to appease him. Then he prays to God, secondly, for protection, for peace and avoidance of war. And then the third step, he arms his people for battle and to fight if necessary. So um, we, we don't want to fight with our enemy. We only do it as a last resort. We try to appease them. We, try to, uh, we pray to God for, 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 for some new insight that will enable us to bring it together. But there's no mitzvah, though, to kill ourselves, so therefore we have to arm ourselves when necessary and fight for our life. As the Talmud says, his blood is not redder than your blood. In other words, you don't sacrifice your life for the sake of the other, but you try to make peace, but when all is lost, you can fight at that point in time. Uh, another interesting thing is how the Jewish tradition relates to war and to battle. Uh, we're not supposed to cause any destruction uh, that's, uh, 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 for example, even a tree uh, a fruit-bearing tree, and then the rabbis extend it to any kind of tree we're not to, to destroy during war. We have to take the importance of the environment covering up corpses, and we also have to clean up defecation if, we, uh, if it's in the field. Uh, the Torah is very sensitive to the environment and to all, all, all creation of nature. There is one category of enemies, though, where we're taught not to be so... Uh, so kind to, or compassionate to hope for change, because they've sort of uh, have crossed the line. There's something about their temperament that they refuse to have dialogue. They just want to harm you. And this is the root of the, the, the 
per people called the Amalekites, the Amalek. So if you look on the sheet, you'll see what it says in the Torah about Amalek. In Exodus 17, uh, verses 8 through 16, in Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 19, uh, it says the following in Exodus verse 16. Because, the, your, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Midor dor. They attacked you from the rear against your elderly and the weak after you had just experienced miracles and were hot with faith, and they cooled you off and said, We are not afraid of your God. When evil is prevalent in the world, faith in God is lost. So Amalek represents the destruction of faith, the entry of doubt into the world, and thus must be fought against in every generation. In other words, you were hot when you came out of Egypt with all the miracles. You saw the crossing of the Red Sea. And he had the chutzpah, the daring to say, I don't care about your God. I'm not afraid of your God or you. I'm going to attack you. And he attacked the, the, the faint and the weary and the elderly from behind. Uh, if you look closely at this, the word Amalek in Gematria, there's a thing called numerology in the Hebrew alphabet that the mystics speak about. Amalek is 240. Ayin is, uh, is uh, 70. Mem is 40. Lamed is 30, and Kuf is 100. That's 240. The word for doubt in Judaism is Safek. Safek. Safek is also 240. Samach is 60, Pei is 80, and Kuf is 100. So Amalek represents the, in, 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 uh, the imparting of, faith, of doubt into the world, doubt into the psyche. It says, he attacked the throne of the Lord, the Lord cannot dwell in the, in, the, in the world if evil is rife, if evil is prevalent, if people have lost their ethical sense. And therefore, you have to fight against this because not only are the human beings uh, physically berating you, but they're obviating the possibility of faith in this world. It's the same thing, the seeds of Amalek. We say Hitler had the seeds of Amalek. Uh, not only did Hitler destroy the Jewish people physically, but it created such a spiritual uh, damage to the psyche. People didn't believe. People felt so dark about the incapacity of human beings to be ethical in the world. So we fight against Amalek uh, for, for that reason. So uh, what was the origin of Amalek? This is very important to understand. How, do, how was Amalek born into the world, the energy of Amalek? So if you look at the end of Reshit, you see the end of Genesis, the genealogy of Esav. We see that Amalek was born from a woman named Timna. Taf mim nun hey, you look at it inside the source. Who was Timna? Timna was someone who was not Jewish, who wanted to convert to Judaism. So she came to Jacob's family, and Jacob rejected her. She, he said, you know, it's, I'm not sure whether you're worthy. Uh, come back another time. So she went to the family of Esav. And Esav took her in. And Esav married her off to his son. And the offspring of Timnah and Esav's son is Amalek. So the rabbis explain it was because of the deep wound that she had, which created anger and the deep shame that she experienced by being rejected. It made her... Uh, gave that, that energy uh, of, of hostility, of anger toward the Jewish people, and just in general. So we have to be very careful 
that we don't create Amalek by our, our behavior as well. We have to treat people with love, with respect, uh, even, unless, unless they act out in a way that's vicious, the way the Amaleks did. You can't turn your cheek to, to, to Hitler. Uh, you know, and those today who are, who are mad, who are destroying people uh, the, the, throughout the world, it's, we're living in, in an awful world. We just, just heard on the radio all these bombs that have been sent to people in our own time. It's just horrific. Um, so we have to fight against evil in that way. We have to fight against uh, Amalek. Uh, we'll soon see uh, this evening that evil is built into the universe for an important reason. There's a difference between evil and, and enemies. That's, that's a separate, separate. Yeah, go ahead. Is, is there a lesson here that rabbis should make it easier for people to convert? Yeah, that, 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 that is important. The tradition of conversion, especially in the Sephardic world, was to welcome, to, say, to show gratitude that you want to join our people, and we should welcome them through love and not make it hard. There's another tradition, the Ashkenazi, they tell them three times, they, they discourage them to see how committed they really are. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, and that's not helpful. We don't want to create a Amalek, you know. But this is an amazing story to, 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 to teach about. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. Okay, the next thing is about strangers. How, what is, how does the Jewish tradition speak about our interaction with strangers? Um, because of all the commandments in the Torah... The commandment that's mentioned more than any other commandment is you should love the stranger because you know what it was like to be strangers in the land of Egypt. You have that empathy. So therefore, you don't want to treat them the way you were treated. You know what that felt like. Unfortunately, there's an, uh, an energy called identification with the aggressor. Sometimes people who are abused, they turn out to be abusers because that's the way they feel like they're protected. That's the model that they follow. So we have to be, be careful not to do that. We have to love the stranger. So uh, it's been taught, Eliezer the Great said, why did the Torah warn against the wrongdoing of a stranger in 36, or others say in 46 places? Because he has a, 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 an inclination, a strong inclination to mistreat the stranger. And so it needs to be repeated over and over again. The Gemara asked the question, it's not clear from the grammar who has the inclination to do evil. Is it the stranger who may relapse, as some commentators say? Or perhaps the Israelites who have a strong inclination to mistreat the stranger, and so it needs to be repeated over and over again. So why does the Torah repeat it so many times? Precisely because it is so difficult to do, and it seems to go against our natural inclination, fear of the stranger, which leads to anger toward them, feeling harmed, which leads to revenge toward them. Forgiveness is the most difficult virtue of all. And uh, that's why the Torah repeats this is so essential. We see this in our own day, how people feel fearful of the other who's different, and they get angry, and they, they, it leads to destruction and, and violence. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's perhaps, perhaps natural to fear frightened and to to try to preserve yourself. But we have to, as Jews, know what it's like to feel estranged and learn to love people even though they're different. 
Commentators say the following, we also have to learn the strange within ourselves, the estranged part, get to know that, get to overcome it, get to integra integrate it rather than denying it. It's an interesting story about, uh, so forgiveness is a very hard uh, concept, to forgive oneself, to forgive others, but it's so essential. There's a story about, in the Torah, about the building of the ark. Who was chosen to build the ark? A man named Bitzalel. He was a great artist. And the, the Torah says, choose Bitzalel ben Uri ben Chur to build my tabernacle. Not only does it mention his father Uri, it mentions his grandfather Chur. Very strange. He usually doesn't do that in the Torah. So the rabbis point out, who was Chur? Chur was the man who stood up against the Jewish people who were trying to build the golden calf. Everyone was going along with the group. Moses had left. They were a little insecure. They said, we'll make a calf. Chur said, no, don't do it. And the people killed Chur. They murdered Chur because they wanted to build the golden calf. Imagine that. B'Tzalel was chosen, the, the grandson of Chur, who was killed by his people because God said that he was so virtuous, he had the capacity to forgive, to forgive the people. That's why he was chosen, not just because he was a great architect, but because he was a person who had such ability to forgive other people. So he was chosen to build the, the, the tabernacle. So we're taught the lesson of the profound importance of forgiveness and how we have to really work on that uh, and, and get in touch with our anger and trace it to the root. Why, why are we feeling this way? Uh, is it our ego? Can we overcome that? Uh, you know, in, in the story in uh, Bamidbar, uh, in the book of Numbers, it says in the Torah that the Jewish people sinned in the desert. Uh, they were rebelling. And God released copper ser serpents, snakes, to, to attack the people. And Moses didn't know what to do. He yelled out to God, what should I do? God said, build a copper serpent, put it up on a pole, and let the people stare at this serpent, and the plague will go away. So the rabbis explain, that which bites you can also heal you. In order for you to overcome something, you have to trace it back to its root. Go back to the historical uh, reasons for it. And then uh, look at it rationally, consciously. So that only then will you get the opportunity to begin to forgive the other, forgive yourself for, for, for all the feelings that you've harbored against the other, and, and peace can come as a result. So the last paragraph uh, is, is, is important to understand. So the Torah still commands us not to oppress the stranger, for we were strangers in Egypt and know what it feel like, feels like to be the other, singled out and hated. We are commanded to treat the stranger and the native born equally in the Torah. We know very deeply the heart of the stranger. We are both human, both created in the image of God, so we must fight against the hatred in our heart as God once fought the greatest ruler, Amalek, and the strongest empire in the ancient world on our behalf. We were made into the world's archetypal strangers, we Jews, so that we would fight for the rights of strangers, our own and those of others, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever the color of their skin, whatever their culture, because they are not, because though they are not in our image, they are nevertheless in God's image. So that is the answer. We must love the stranger 
because we are created in God's image. So um, we have three categories. We have enemies that we try to make peace with if they're not egregiously evil. We have strangers in our midst that were commanded specifically those who are different than us to try to embrace and be friends to them. But we are also told that the arch enemy, absolute evil, has to be confronted. We don't turn the other cheek at that point because it leads to greater evil. We are here to, to save the world, elevate the world, and some things have to be removed at times. So Amalek has to be fought against, whether it's Hitler, whether it's Idi Amin, whether it's all these tyrants who are in the world. We as Jews have to stand up. And we sometimes know that the causes are repetition of rejection over the years, feeling isolated, feeling angry, and, uh, and therefore blaming it, projecting that blame on those who, are, who seem to be uh, affluent or seem to have a lifestyle that's different than they. Uh, and that's what we have in the world today. We have this split of, of black and evil. The rabbis say, and we'll, we'll speak about this this evening, we we'll speak about Kabbalah, that uh, the verse, V'yahavta l'recha kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself. Rabbi Nachman of Rasov says something very interesting. The word rea means neighbor. But if you look at the root letters, reish ayin, in rea, reish ayin, anybody know what that means? Ra? Evil. So he says, love the evil within yourself. Love the shadow within yourself. Meaning none of us are pure. But if we repress it and deny it and don't deal with it and have the illusion that we're pure and we project that negativity on others, we split, I'm good, you're bad. We never get the opportunity to heal ourselves and therefore heal the world. If we're wounded within and deny it and, and the, what we call Ra, or what Jung calls the shadow, um, it's disastrous consequences. We have to integrate it. We have to learn. We don't have to be perfect. It's okay to have a little bad in us. We have to integrate it. We have to understand why. We have to become more whole and, and proceed and continue to, to grow. This is a world where, of a journey toward growth, journey toward wholeness. We never achieve it totally until we die. Uh, this is not a world of absolute truth. It's a world of faith. We proceed even if we don't know the absolute truth, uh, the ain't self, the mystery. God's ways are sometimes mysterious. But we get rumors of angels. We get whispers of the infinite. And that sustains us. We study Torah. We look at nature. We do good deeds. Uh, so we get connected. We get connected to people. But ultimately, there's also some doubt, some shadow within us. Because God's revelation is not as palpable as it was at Mount Sinai. God allows us to take the journey toward truth to, to say, even though you don't absolutely, do you have faith? Are you my beloved? Do you love me? With, even though you don't know absolutely for sure. When you die, you'll know absolutely for sure. That's what, that's what the, some of the mystical sages say. That when, that's the end of the journey. Then you'll see God. There's a story told about Maimonides, the great Rambam. Uh, he had a student who's on his deathbed, one of his favorite students. And the Rambam said, if, you, if and when you die, I want you to make a promise to me that I want you to come back in a dream and tell me the secret of why bad things happen to good people. You'll be in the heavenly world. You'll have the truth. Please communicate it to me. So sure enough, uh, the young man died. And sure enough, about a month later, he did actually appear to the Rambam in a dream. And he said to my man, so my man, he said to him, Nu, can you tell me the secret of, of the the problem of evil in this world. So 
The student said, you know, when I was on the other side, everything was so clear to me. I understood why everything happened. But now that I've crossed over, it's hazy again. It's a, a, I can't tell you. I'm not sure. It's still, it's a question. So the Yiddish expression is, from a kasha startnishnish. So uh, from, for, from a question, we don't die. We're a tradition, really, of questions rather than simple answers. Simplistic answers have turned off a lot of our young generation. Uh, we, we, our strength is in the struggle and the debate, getting clarity more and more as we engage with Torah and engage with good deeds in the world. And we will all be strengthened to do so. Uh, we started late, so I'm, so I'm going so to give you time for questions uh, so that we don't we don't miss anything. Yes. The uh, topic is making enemies into friends. Yes. What if the, the enemy isn't inclined to accept our approach? Okay. So, just yes. Uh, the question is, the topic is making enemies into friends. What if our enemy is not inclined to make friends with us, to make peace with us? So, the rabbis in the laws of, of uh, repentance say that if um, you've done something wrong to somebody else and you're asking for forgiveness, you have to ask up to three times. If after three times that person doesn't forgive you, then it becomes his or her problem. You're, you've done your diligence, you've, you've sincerely asked, and the person does, still doesn't want to be your friend, so you don't have a further obligation to it. And, and that's God's judgment on the person. He's, he becomes the one who's doing wrong. It sometimes takes a long time uh, to, to change. You know, sometimes circumstances change. And, but it's a good question, and it's not an easy answer. So the answer is keep trying, but when you reach the limit, if you made that sincere try, uh, you're, you're free from, from going on. There's only one uh, sin that you must do, ask for forgiveness more than three times, and that is if you insult somebody in public, you have to ask them up to 100 times for forgiveness because it's as if you've killed the person. Blood comes to their face. They're so shamed. It's as if you've, you've killed them. It's, it's, it's a terrible, egregious sin. But everything else, you try your best. God says you're rewarded for your effort, but the results are in God's hands. You're just, we just want, God, treasures, we want your effort. If it's a sincere effort, that's sufficient. Yes. Can you apply your thoughts, Rabbi? Thank you for your... Presentation. Thank you. Apply your thoughts to uh, political discourse in the United States today. Right. Okay, so good. We may have a lot of Amaleks walking around. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, th this this whole talk is based on the fact that these beautiful laws have broken down. That we are not making enemies in our friends because we're not starting to clear out from within our own selves what bothers us about the other, and try to then create some expression of it uh, and potential rapprochement. But instead, we displace our anger on other people. We project it and we say, they're all evil and we're all good. Um, the rabbis say the following. If you look at chapter 19 in, in Leviticus, it's called the Holiness Code, Kedoshim to you. There are three verses that are juxtaposed one with the other. The first says, you should not hate your neighbor in your, neighbor in your heart. You should surely rebuke your neighbor or correct your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. The rabbis explain what creates this egregious disparity is the inability to correct, to speak out to what disturbs you. And 
Do it in a way that says, ochiach tochiach, it repeats it. Treat them as your friend. Do it in a, in, a, in a respectful way, but tell them what's bothering you. Otherwise, you begin to hate your neighbor in your heart. You begin to repress, you own it, you, it takes hold of you, and it's impossible to do loving your neighbor as yourself. So the key is, even though this might seem naive, but the key is the attempt at dialogue, the attempt at, at, at trying to listen to the other, what's bothering them, because they probably have something that we've been judging and we're not even aware of that might have some sense to it. And, and as a result of that, that, with patience and persistence, to get to some compromise, to get to something where both, both uh, uh, sides of the, of the pie can, can live with. Uh, most of the time it has to do with self-interest. You know, they don't do it out of love or idealism, but if you satisfy some of their need, they satisfy some of your need. But the problem is if you don't, if you repress it, then there's no, then, then we go to what we call splitting. I am good, you're bad, and no one even hears the other. So we, we, we need leadership. We need, you know, we just had the holiday of Sukkot, uh, where it's a, Sukkot is a holiday of shalom, Sukkot shalom, because we, we, uh, we invite people into the sukkah and, uh, uh, and people who are not only like us, but different from us, and we, we, we say we have such faith in God because we leave our secure abode to a little flimsy uh, place where we huff and puff and can blow down, but we still have faith that God will take care of us. And so the rabbis say that this is the way to get peace, to understand that, that we have to have dialogue with people uh, who are different than us because a sukkah can't be four sides. It has to be three sides. One side has to be open. We have to be open to inviting people in with us, and not only people who are exactly like us, but different from us. And you have the opportunity then to talk to each other, to, to share a meal with each other, to say, hey, I didn't think, you're not such a bad guy. You know, that's the law that says when, when your enemy's ox needs to be loaded and your friend's needs to be unloaded, you still go to your enemy first, just for the potential attempt to create some rapprochement, to see a little bit of good in the other. So I don't have a simple answer. It's an egregious time we're living in today. But we still, as Jews, have to stand up for what the Torah teaches us to even attempt. As I said before, the effort is crucial. Don't give up. Don't despair. But even if the results aren't as quick as we want it to be. Anybody else? Yes? So is Jacob absolved from his um, nasty deed because his mother took responsibility? OK, great, great question. Great question. So Jacob um, has a life of suffering as well. Joseph leaves him, and uh, you know he, he's in a state of mourning for so many years. And uh, some commentators say that he, su he suffered too as a result of being duplicitous. We'll soon see tonight, I'll talk about one of the dreams of Jacob. Jacob, Yaakov means the trickster, the heel. He was, a tri he, he, he was engaged in lies much of his life. Uh, Laban tricked him. He lied to, to, to Esau. Uh, there were a lot of instances like that. But then at a certain point in time, he had a dream when he was about 40 years old. He, was, he, 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 saw, um, he saw that Esau was coming toward him, and he was afraid. So he crossed the river, Yabok, and he told his family, you stay on the side of the river. I'm just going for a little vacation across the river this evening. I'll see you another time. So the rabbis say, why was Jacob a trickster? Why did he lie? What 
causes us to lie. Fear, when we're fearful. So he was afraid of Jacob, of, of Asaph coming after him. He, he was lying to his family. He maybe wanted to run away again. And he had this dream. The angel came to him and struggled with him and wrestled with him all night. And through the wrestling, uh, uh, he said, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. You No longer will you be the trickster. You'll be the one who struggled with God and prevailed. And he wounded him in his thigh, so he can't run away anymore. He can't run away, he can't lie. So we sometimes can reach a point in our lives where we can transform, where we're ready to face all that we did and, and, and find forgiveness from God and, and become a different person, become Jacob becomes Israel. But when he was Jacob, you're right. He was not straight, and he suffered as a result, but he had enough holiness within him that, that he was able to, to turn it around. Yeah. Um, by the way, the word Israel has a very interesting name. Yisrael, he who struggles with God, or Rev. Cook says if you take the letters and switch them around, Shir-el, he who sings to God. Or some say Yasher-el, the one who, who does righteousness for God. In other words, we all have different temperaments. No one could be the same all the time. Some are singers, some are strugglers, some pursue justice. If we could all respect and respect difference and love each other because we're all created in the image of God, then we have a chance to transform the world. But the world uh, is in bad shape now, and I agree, but, but the, some of the prophets say that the time before the Messianic era comes is when there will be darkness. The darkness will impel us to fight very strongly for, for the light, for the right, to heal the world in, in ways that are even stronger than before because we can't, we can't survive in this way. You know? So we're in, we're in a stage uh, that, that pretty, seems pretty close to that. Any, any other hands, any other questions? I just wanted to summarize what I'm hearing yes. you uh, give as uh, ingredients to making enemies into friends. Yes. Number one, I'm hearing uh, a kind of self-awareness. Yes. Self-examination. Right. Exactly. Number two, I'm hearing the importance of leadership mm -hmm. that is going to be persistent and patient. Right. I'm, I'm hearing that there need to be spaces for interactions between mm -hmm. people. Right. And the opportunity to load somebody else's donkey. Right? And the, it's not and, an opportunity to load somebody else's donkey. If I never see somebody in their donkey, I never have the chance. Right, so you got, you got to connect with... And, and then there needs to be some measure of empathy. Empathy that can only come through interaction. We get to know the other rather than stereotype the other. There's one more ingredient that I mentioned that you didn't get, and that is acceptance of difference. And that is, if we want everyone to be like us, similar, it only creates tension. It says in the book of Numbers that the Jewish people, the 12 tribes, stood in front of the ark, and each of the flags of the 12 tribes were different. And the rabbis comment that each person or each human being brings something different to the world. If there would be only one flag, the people who, can't, who have a different temperament would feel so squeezed and, and create such tension and create tachrut, competitiveness and, and, and strife. So we have to give the, the ability, the, the space for people to be themselves, to, to, I don't have to be white, I can be black. You don't have to be red, you can be yellow. Can I see beyond the form 
and see that you're to your image of God and that you were given something special to bring to this world uh, and, and I shouldn't be, feel threatened from it because I see the larger picture. So acceptance of difference rather than conformity, uh, which leads to stress, yeah, would also be a way to, to attenuate enemies and make more friends, you know, people who feel comfortable. And, and where, where do you see spaces in our today's society at large where, just for example, uh, a Republican can help load a Democrat's donkey? Okay, well, if they have a common purpose, you know, if, if, if they have a common enemy, yeah. oh, where, where are they? Well, if, uh, if, if God forbid Russia wants to attack us, right, that will, the, it's the same with Jews throughout history. Uh, you know, people speak about the terrible implications of anti-Semitism, but one of the positives is that it allowed the Jewish people to bond with each other and, and, and look at the enemy outside. Otherwise, we eat each other up, you know. But um, uh, so with Republicans and Democrats, if they have a common agenda, if the people actually come up with a united voice, say, this is what we want from you, and, and uh, their self-interest is to get elected, so, so they might come together, to find a common agenda that's really good for the country, uh, unfortunately, they have disagreements about, about that, so they have to talk it through and try to compromise. And, and if people go out and vote in a strong way and have a mandate to say, this is what we want, so then both parties might agree somewhat to it. I think the political system is wounded now. You know, it's all about getting elected rather than what's best for the country. So, but people, leaders need a, uh, Bob Dylan says, don't, don't choose leaders, choose parking meters, you know. But, uh, but all of us need to be leaders rather than trying to rely on, on that one savior. So right here, we're, we can be leaders. Right here, we can take responsibility even for small parts of our life. That builds, that energy builds. And then we come together in the community, and the community bonds and says, yes, let's go out and do something. You know, so um, I, the question is better than the answer. Let me try. <laughs> well, yes. yes. I, yeah, I don't want to Yes. It Good. seems like it's just the external forces that are getting covered over when they come together. You know, if Russia attacks us, right. you know, we're not. Re there's really no recognition of who the inner. Yeah. So everyone needs the, the people all need therapy sessions before becoming uh, senators. You know, uh, it's, it starts starts from the inner, as we said, straight from the start. That love, you you've got to do some digging. You know, many people, what are their motivations to become politicians? You know, so it's uh, on sometimes ego aggrandizement, which is really far from a spiritual perception. So uh, uh, politics, uh, you know, in, in Pirkei vote, uh, there's one dictum that says, stay far away from the government, because you know, <laughs> they will bite, they bite you, you know. Um, it's, you know, democracy is the best system we have based on, on systems, but the problem is, Groupthink, you know, people want to follow a leader and they give up their own thinking about it and, and it becomes vicious, you know, and so there has to be an alternative voice. You know, there was, there was a study by um, Milgram called Obedience to Authority uh, some years ago up at Stanford. He, he had a, a study with graduate students um, and he wanted to see how obedient people would be just following a command of a leader. So we had four people behind the screen, and uh, he asked them questions, and he said, if it get, gets it wrong, one button is painful, 
second, very painful, third, potentially lethal, lethal. and the fourth button, you, you kill the person, the person would die. So um, he asked these questions, and 65% of the people yielded to the authority even though the fourth button was being pressed. They had no sense of being able to say no. The only time it changed, and they did it not only in the United States, but throughout the world. The only time it changed when there was a dual authority, when people perceived they had a choice. One said, please continue, uh, and the other one said, you don't have to. So they were able to, to reduce their proclivity. Uh, it's, it's what we call the mass ass. There's a, there's a tendency to follow the leader and to conform. So we have to strengthen the inside and be, be individuals and, and stand up. So studying Torah and following the ways of the Torah is one way to do it, feel confident that, that there's, there's a good, strong ethics here and I want to be part of it and I want to spread that and uh, maybe in several generations. What I'm even more frightened about is this climate change with future generations. Will there be a planet? You know, it's a... It's, we're living in tough times, you know. And you would but, think that would be enough. We don't need Russia to attack. We have, right. we exactly, yeah. So, so isn't this crazy? We have the Paris Accords where people finally come together, and we have Trump who pulls out of it. I don't want to get political here. I mean, we might be amongst all the no, Republicans we're here. Okay. I mean, we're talking about friends and enemies. Not <laughs> right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the climate change, all the scientific studies are going up. So, no, it's fake news, you know. So it's... Uh, how do you, it's like 1984, how do you fight against uh, when, when you, yeah, when you, when you can't rely on the truth, you know, when, when they tell you the truth is not the truth. So we have to be strong. We don't give up. We have to look at our traditions, see the, 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 the ethical stance that it takes, join together as a community, work toward a better world, and, and full effort, that's all we can do, and we hopefully God will help, and, and it'll be a better world. Okay. I think we're finished. Yeah, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetmadrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.